Lord Jesus, you truly are a great and miraculous Savior. It is only because of you that we have life. Because you are life. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you did on the cross. Exchanging our death with your life. Taking our death on yourself and dying that we may never die. And truly in you, the dead come to life. And every time someone responds to the call of salvation that you have extended out from the point of the cross onward, every time that happens, it's the miracle of resurrection. We praise you, Jesus, for what you alone can do. And we thank you for doing that in our lives. And we pray that if there is anyone man, woman, child, that is here, that is yet to receive your salvation, may this day, this hour, be the time of their new birth and resurrection. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you will yet do. And it's in your great name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been in the I Am Statements of Christ now for five weeks, and each of these statements is designed to draw our attention to who Jesus really is, who he truly is, not just what we might think we know about him, not what we've heard through various means, but who he really is from his own words, in his own words. And every time he issues an I am statement, he's saying, don't mistake the fact that I am very God, I am fully God in the flesh, and as such, I am uniquely qualified and uniquely able to provide for you everything you need and long for that you can't find anywhere else. And he provides a a metaphor to wrap our minds around it, something to get our eyes off of the physical and on to him. And he does that every single time. And we come in week five now, we come to John chapter 11 verses 20 through 26 that Steve read for us. Thank you again, Steve, for doing that. And you know, as you, as you hear that passage, and you've probably been pretty familiar with it because it's a very common funeral message. You've probably heard it a dozen times. And the reason it's spoken at funerals is because it is so full of hope and power and the right perspective, especially as it deals with death. And as you heard those verses read again and you heard Martha's response to Jesus, you know, I personally, I'm I'm sure some of you can too, but I personally can just so identify with Martha. And I so identify with her reaction when Jesus came, when he came up to her and she came out to meet him and she said, What she says, Lord, if you had been here, if you had just been here a little bit earlier, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, I I used to kind of think that she was being out of line. Like, Martha, how how dare you? Who do you think you are? You're getting in Jesus' face here. I mean, you're scolding the Savior. You're scolding the Lord. You're saying, 
come on, Jesus, why didn't you show up? Where were you? What's wrong with you? That's, that's really how my perspective was for many years as I read over this passage many times and as I knew it. But my whole perspective of her reaction shifted when my own mother passed. My mother passed away two years ago now. She's been with the Lord for two years. It was two years as of last Sunday. And when all of this was going on with my mom, as she was diagnosed with severe pancreatic cancer, it's still hard. I just knew Jesus was going to heal her. I just knew it. I believed it with every fiber of my being. And I begged and begged and begged him to do so. And many with me did as well. I was planting a church at the time, and I can't tell you how many times we would just stop and gather as a small little group of about 50 people and just sometimes literally on our faces before the Lord begging him to heal my mother, but also just believing, knowing it was going to happen, just convinced, convinced. And when it didn't happen here, it wrecked me. It absolutely wrecked me. I mean, it devastated my whole mindset and my heart. It cut through every fiber of my faith. And I wrestled, and I wrestled, and I wrestled. And I said the very same thing to Jesus in my own way that Martha here says. Lord, if if you had just done what I know you could have done, what I know you can do, what I believe you can do, if you had just done it, then we wouldn't be here right now under these circumstances. I know my brother wouldn't be in the tomb now four days. And I said very much of the same thing. Lord, I, I believed. Where were you? Why, why did you do this? I didn't get an answer then, really. Not really. Not directly. Still haven't directly. Not to the specific occasion of my mom's passing. But yet I got an answer. And it's the same answer that Martha received. It's the same answer that she received. Because what Jesus was calling Martha to do in this passage is the same thing that he's calling us to do today. And that is to lift our eyes, to lift our focus from the pain of loss, which many, many of you have experienced recently, and what all of us experience from time to time and will always experience as the Lord tarries and as life here on this planet goes on. There will be suffering. There will be pain. There will be crushing loss. It's just going to happen because this life, this world is under the curse of sin. And the result of sin is death. It's the wages of it. It's going to happen. But what Jesus calls all of us to do, it's what he called her to do, Martha here. He calls us to lift our focus off of the pain of loss and put it on to his constant presence and his constant power 
It's what he's really been doing in each of the I am statements that we've looked at throughout our whole series. He's saying, I I need you to shift your focus off of the physical, off of the temporary, and I need you to put it on me because I'm the one thing that will never change or never fade away. I'm the one thing that will always provide you everything you need and long for. It's not in bread. Look at me, the bread of life. It's not in finding little tiny sources of light only to find they go out. It's looking to me the light of the world and the light of life and on and on I could go as we've covered each of these statements that's his whole point Jesus is saying please please take your attention off of this world and off of the physical that you're so wrapped up in and so distracted by and see me for who I am and focus on my goodness even in the midst of bad And focus on my light in the midst of darkness. Focus on my supply when you have nothing else that anyone can provide. Focus on me. I am the great I am. That's what he's saying in all of this. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, can't you just hear the desperation in her her voice and Can't you see the tears streaming down her face? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Don't miss the fact, don't miss the fact that here in Martha's statements, she is still someone full of faith. Her questioning, her statement to Jesus is not because she lacks faith or lacks sincere belief in her Savior. It's quite the opposite. She is saying, I do believe in you. I I know you can do all things. I have hope in you. I've seen you do things I cannot even describe. And I know there's no one who can do what you do, Jesus. It's because I have such faith in you, because my belief rests in you, that I just don't understand why this happened. Because I know you could have prevented it. There's faith. There's rich, powerful faith on display in what she's saying. Don't miss that. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, and hear the tenderness in his voice. It's not rebuke. It's not criticism. It's grace and it's mercy and it's love. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, and here's again faith, faith and belief and hope. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's looking forward. She's looking ahead. Even in her despair, she's holding on to hope. Yes, I believe this isn't the end. I know it's going to happen one day. One day. And Jesus said to her, verse 25, huh, this, is, this is amazing. This is so beautiful and powerful. He said, no, no, Martha, you, You're not understanding. Martha, no, you're you're missing the ultimate point here. Here's what he said. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
And the same question there that he asked Martha is what he asked me. As I asked him, why? Jesus, where, where were you? Why did you allow this to happen? I believed, I prayed, I begged, and all these other people did too. What was the purpose of this? With, with, with my mother, one of the greatest servants that you've ever had, perfectly healthy up to this point, only 67 years old, Someone who filled my life and countless others with amazing love and just joy and happiness. Why? What are you doing here? I didn't get an answer to that. But I did very much in the very core of my being get the answer. I am. I am that I am. All that I've been, I still am. All that you've believed about me, I still am. All that you've believed in me, I still am. All that you've challenged and encouraged others to believe in about me through your ministry, I still am. Chris, do you believe? Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I'm still good even though right here in this moment you can't see it? Do you still believe? And I had to take a step back. I had to say, I thought I did. Do I really? Did I just believe in Jesus' goodness and love and grace and mercy only because he had a protection around me and just poured out blessing and blessing and blessing? Is that what I believed in? Or do I believe in a sovereign, perfect God that can't be anything other than good even when it doesn't appear to my limited perspective to be good? That's the crisis I had to come to. It's the question I had to really honestly, sincerely take a big step back and ask. Do I really believe? Do I believe this? It's not in the text today, but I want to go ahead and mention verse 27 because it's very, still very, very important and provides some good closure instead of leaving it open. John eleven twenty seven. Martha's response, Yes, yes, Lord. She told him, I, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And by the grace of the Spirit and His work in my life, I was able to say with brokenness and with tears and with an admittedly shaken faith, I was able to still say, yes, yes, Lord, I believe. I still believe. You are who you've said you are. You are who I proclaim you to be. You are all that I've believed in. You are good. You are God and you are in control. And you will work this as with everything else out for my good and your glory. And I still believe that. Do you believe that? Do you believe? The same question that Jesus asked of Martha is the question he's asking each and every one of you. It's the question he's asking all of humanity. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Here I am. The great I am. I'm everything that, that this 
whole book has said about me from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, I am the same always. Do you believe? I am your only hope. Do you believe? I am your only source of comfort. Do you believe? I am your only constant provision. I am the only unchanging one. I am everything that everyone ever looks for and longs for, and I am here. Do you believe? That's the question that Jesus always asks. I hope you've answered yes. I hope you're answering yes, because he really is the resurrection and the life. I want us to look at that a little bit together today. I want us to look at the fact that that he is both the resurrection and the life. And starting off with the fact that he is the resurrection. It's important for us to understand that because Jesus is the resurrection, because he is the resurrection, he does not submit to death. He does not submit to death. Death submits to him. Isn't that great? It's great news. Death serves his purpose. And death is the very instrument he uses to provide the ultimate unending life promise for all who are in him. Did you catch that? That he uses death to accomplish his purpose and to fulfill his promise. I mean, he said here in our text, we heard it, he said, all who live and believe in me will never die. They will live though they die. That's a a bold statement. It's a powerful promise. Guess what he uses to fulfill the promise? Death itself. He takes the, the horrible, fearful, menacing foe that we know as death, and he turns it backwards, and he uses it to usher us into his glory and to his eternity. Only he can do that. Death had no dominion over him. He conquered it. He rose victorious over it. And it has no dominion for all those who are in him. Because of that, because that is true, we have hope and comfort when dealing with death. Because all that is true, about Jesus, we have, we have hope and comfort when dealing with death. I want to draw your attention to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. You're certainly welcome to turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Beautiful passage. Once again, pretty familiar. If you've been at a funeral, most funerals have this in, in some form or in some fashion, but it's because it's so rich in perspective. It's the perspective that God wants all who are in him to have and to know, to be reminded of about death. Paul writing here, starting in verse 13, he says this, Brothers and sisters, so he's writing to the church, to us, the beloved, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who sleep in death. And let me just point out, where Christ is concerned, and if you're in him, then death is always really just sleep. That's it. It's not going to hold you. It's not permanent. It's sleep. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that, here's the purpose he, he, he's saying this, he doesn't want us to be uninformed for this reason, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That's the point. Paul 
and the Holy Spirit through him is not saying don't ever grieve. Grieving is a bad thing. I don't want you to grieve. Turn off those tears. That's not what he is saying. That's not God's heart. No. I mean, we see later in this passage in John 11, Jesus himself weeps. And it's not just a little trickle of tears down his cheek. I mean, he's, he's in agony. He's broken in spirit. The, the literal Greek that is used of, of uh, John eleven thirty five means he is, he is wailing. And we know that he is, he's full of emotion. He's angry at sin and he's angry at death because he is the creator knows this was not the original purpose. This was not the design for my creation. But sin changed everything. And so he's angry at it and he expresses that emotion and he weeps even though he knows he's getting ready in just a few moments to call Lazarus out of the grave. He still cries. He still weeps. He still shares the emotion of the people gathered around weeping. Grieving isn't a bad thing in itself. But if you are in Christ, grieving like the rest of mankind outside of Christ, who have no hope, that is what you're called to not do. That is not what we are called to do, to grieve like those who have no hope. And so Paul is writing here, he's saying, I I want to make something clear to you. I want you to understand something about death so that you are free from grieving like everyone else. So that you grieve, but you don't grieve as those who have no hope. And here's why he can say that. Here's the reason this is true. Verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so, as a result of that, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. (laughs) That's the promise. That's the reality. That death is not the end. That rather, death is the beginning of all who are in Christ. It's the doorway that ushers in real life. C.S. Lewis refers to all of this right now, all of our experience before death, as the shadowlands. And what death does is it opens up this door that we walk through and we realize, oh, oh, so this is life. This is life. That, that was just a, just a preview. And we fall down and, and we worship. That's what my mom did the moment she stepped into eternity. That's what she's doing right now and all of your loved ones with her. If they were in Christ, they are, they are celebrating the resurrection and the life. Unending. And one day, they're going to come back. They're going to come back with the author of life. As he calls us up, we're going to say, it feels like forever for us. How long has it been for you? And they're going to say, like nothing at all. Like no time at all. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, this is not Paul's fantasy. This is not what he's making up. He's saying this is straight from the Lord. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's that temporary nature again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, much like the command he gave to to bring Lazarus out from the grave. 
much like the command he gave to all of us who have received him when we were called out of the grave of sin and death into life like we sang about today. Because the only way you can run out of the grave that you're in is if he calls you. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And here's the point of all of this. Verse 18, it's the whole point. This is why Paul wrote these words. And this is what... We can do because Jesus is the resurrection, because of the fact that we have resurrection in him. Verse 18, therefore encourage or comfort one another with these words, with this truth, with this reality. See, because Jesus is the resurrection, we have hope and comfort when dealing with death. And... He is the life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So because Jesus is the life, we have power to persevere in this life. Because he is the life, we have the power to persevere in this life. We have resurrection power in the present Right now, day to day, just like the, the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is there on your guide at the bottom, especially that part there in the middle, strength for today, strength for today, which we all need, we all want, because let's face it, life is hard, life is tough. Life is disappointing. There's all sorts of discouragement. There's all sorts of things to drag you down, right? Life's not easy. Not all the time. It's never guaranteed to be. Jesus himself said, in this world, you're going to have trials and hardship. You're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world, he said. And he provides, like this song says, strength for today. And bright hope for tomorrow. We have resurrection power. We have resurrection life. We have resurrection hope right now, day after day. Like the the song we sang a few minutes ago, Because He Lives, the very old, familiar Gaither song, I I love the fact that the song says, Because He Lives. That's where the emphasis is. That's the focus. Because Not because I live. Because He lives and ever lives. Because of that, I can face tomorrow. Apart from him living, apart from Jesus being the resurrection, the life, we have no hope to face tomorrow. We might as well just throw our hands up in despair and give up. But because he lives, I can face every single tomorrow that comes and all that it holds. Because Jesus is the life, we have the power to persevere in this life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. It's here right now. It's yours. It's a present reality if you're in Christ. The old has gone. The new is here. 
In Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. It's a present reality, Paul's saying. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Why, Paul? Why should we do this? He tells us, verse 3, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And here's the ultimate result. The culmination. Verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That is the future for you, believer. That's your constant reality and the hope you can hold on to and refer back to every single moment. That's available. That's yours. All because of the fact that Jesus Christ is the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's the question. That's the question he asks of all of us. We need to understand, Christian, we need to understand that if we are in Christ... Eternal life, listen, just focus, focus. If you're in Christ, eternal life began for you the moment you committed your life to him. The moment you committed your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, eternal life began for you right then. It's not some far off mysterious event. Eternal life is found in Christ. He is life. And if we are in Christ, then we have eternal life with us in a very real and constant way. John 5, 24, Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, present tense, has active, eternal life and will not be judged but has already crossed over from death to life. Isn't that glorious news? That's the good news of the gospel. It's just like what we were promised as a result of Christ's second I am statement in John 8, 12, when Jesus said, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have, will own the light of life. It's the same thing with this statement. If your life is in Christ, then you have, you own, you possess the resurrection and the life because that's what Christ is the source of. He is the source of those things. What I want to leave you with is this thought, this reality. That Jesus is everything we need. Now and later. You guys should have received a now and later when you came in. Everybody hold those up. Some of you probably have eaten them already, even though they told you don't eat them yet. Right? Hold them up. Now and laters, right? This is a really annoying candy because it gets in the innards of your teeth. And if you just got braces, please don't eat these because we just don't have that kind of liability coverage. Um, But you know these these are annoying. But but that's kind of the beauty of it for my purpose today. It sticks with you. You eat it now, and it's still with you later, right? Take this little silly thing and just. Let that be a reminder to you 
that Jesus is everything you need now and later. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life now and forever. That's why. That's why. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for the fact that you are life, that you are resurrection. I praise you for the fact that you are everything we need now and forever in good circumstances and in bad. I thank you and praise you that we don't have to look far off and wonder what resurrection is going to be like or if it will even happen. I thank you that we don't have to wonder if there is such a thing as real and eternal and abundant life. We can know by knowing you. Thank you for being everything we need in all circumstances. And I pray that your spirit would be powerfully at work right now. And if there is anyone that has not yet embraced resurrection power, and abundant life here and now and forever through you, then I pray, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, please call them out of death and into life. We praise you for who and what you are. And we pray all this in your matchless name. Amen.